Hi, my name is Mike Dillard, and this is Self Made Man, the podcast for those who want to leave their mark on the world and create a legacy of honor, integrity, and achievement in every aspect of your life. I'm glad you're here, and once again, it is time to forge your destiny. When you look at the New York Times list of best-selling books at any given moment, you'll obviously find the latest and greatest titles that are flying off the shelves. But what you might not realize is that the book that's currently in first place really isn't. How could that be? Well, it's because the best-selling list of books does not include titles that are considered perennial sellers. These are the books that have been selling hundreds of thousands or millions of copies year after year for 10, 20, 30 years or even longer. Titles like Think and Grow Rich, What to Expect When You're Expecting, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or even The Bible. These books like 4-Hour Workweek or videos like The Secret can create a brand and define a legacy for decades. And I can personally attest to the power of creating a perennial seller because my very first book, Magnetic Sponsoring, is what launched my entrepreneurial career 12 years ago and continues to sell hundreds of copies per month to this day. Entrepreneurs today are so focused on producing content in quantity when they should be focused on quality if they want to truly stand out from the crowd. Well, today we're joined by Ryan Holiday. He's going to walk us through the process and teach you what it takes to create your own perennial seller. You learn how to come up with an idea that has a real chance at disrupting your market and capturing the world's attention. We'll dive into the marketing process that'll help you launch it. And we'll talk about the amount of time and work that you should invest in order to produce a timeless piece of work that can become your legacy. Now, before we start the interview, I want to say thank you so much for your support over the past two years since we've launched this podcast. It's been an absolutely amazing journey, but we are just getting started. Five days from now, the next chapter of Self-Made Man will begin as we launch the biggest e-learning platform in the world that's built just for entrepreneurs. Now, as many of you know, we're giving away over $35,000 in cash and prizes during our pre-launch campaign, and we'll be choosing the winners on February 20th. One lucky listener, and yes, that could be you, will walk away with a brand new home office and $15,000 in cash for your startup. Now, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you head to selfmademan.com to enter right now before it's too late. The deadline is Monday the 19th. Now, without further ado, please help me welcome the one and only... Ryan Holiday. Mr. Ryan Holiday, it's great to have you back on the show. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you for uh, for having me again. This is always fun. Awesome. How's the uh how's the country life treating you these days? It's it's good. It's good. We didn't get much rain this year, so uh you know, having to haul in some hay, but otherwise it's pretty good. Nice. Nice. Well, you're here in in the outskirts of Austin with us. And yep. um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. The city is changing like mad these days, specifically downtown where I am. You must be able to see multiple multi-story buildings out of your window. I mean, like when you see the skyline from anywhere in Austin, you're like, I don't remember that being there. Yeah, three out of the four corners of my building have new high-rises going up around them. <laughs> so, yeah, it's nuts. Uh, well, man, it's great to have you back. We're we're going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart today, and I know it is to yours, which is you know, really dissected in an awesome way in your new book, Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. And I'm so happy that you wrote this book because as a writer and essentially a creator, I've been able to experience this somewhat in my life and the benefits of writing 
essentially perennial piece of work. And I think it is vastly undervalued by the younger generation these days who haven't really been told that this is a priority and it's a life-changing one for, uh, for you as an entrepreneur and a creator. So if you could, let's dive into what inspired you to write this book. It's, it's interesting. If you look at the New York Times bestseller list, which is you know, supposedly the best-selling books in the country every week and every month, um, and you scroll down and you read the fine print, it says uh, that there's a number of, of kinds of books that are excluded from the list. And, and one of those, it, there's actually the phrase you can see, it says the, the list does not include perennial sellers, which seems very weird. Like, why would the, why would the list, uh, which is, again, supposed to be a reflection of the best-selling books in the country, not show books that are selling perennially. I mean, that's de by definition what the bestseller list should be tracking. And and this is a sort of systemic bias that we see not only in book publishing, but in the music industry, in the movie industry, and then even in the, in the entrepreneurial spaces, we're obsessed with who's raising money right now and less interested in who's making profits and has been making them for some time. And so what I really wanted to zoom in on is not the sort of new, trendy, right-out-of-the-box projects, but the projects that were made 10 years ago and are still going strong, or 15 years ago and still going strong, or 100 years ago and still going strong. Uh, and I, I'm just really fascinated with work that has stood the test of time. In the, in the publishing industry, a book is considered what we call backlist or not new after one year. And the entire publishing industry is focused on front list, which would be books that have been out for less than one year. But the truth is the vast majority of revenue in the publishing industry comes from the backlist. And so I wanted to sort of course correct people and go, look, you've got to stop focusing on what you think is hot right now. Because if your goal is to make something that sells and sells and sells, that's truly profitable, it's got to be something that's going to continue to be cool and valuable and interesting and important year in and year out. And, and that's really what the book is about. You know, I went and ran some numbers here before our interview today mm -hmm. because uh, it turns out that I've, you know, the first book I ever wrote has kind of taken on this kind of quality. Sure. And so that was Magnetic Sponsoring. I wrote it back in 2007, so 11 years ago now. And I never once actually published it for real, at least in the beginning. I literally just had spiral-bound copies made up at Kinko's, and I sold several hundred thousand that way for about 40 bucks a piece. And right. that's really what kickstarted my career. And then I went in, when I moved on to a different industry, I believe in 2015, from the reports I was looking at today, I finally had a quote-unquote real book version made uh, with Tucker's help. Mm -hmm. over at Book in a Box and put it up on Amazon and did, you know, on-demand uh, print versions as sure. well. And so I went back and I looked at the numbers for last year, 2017, and I've been selling without uh, a single piece of marketing. It hasn't been listed on my website. It's not in any of my autoresponders and, and has not been for years now. So it's 100% word of mouth, about three or 400 copies a month. Yep. For... 10 years almost, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or at least since 2015 in the last iteration, the last three years. 
And it's just like clockwork. And again, with, with zero effort on my part. And one of the key takeaways that you talk about in the book is the best type of marketing is word of mouth referral marketing because that's what's needed to create a perennial seller. And sure. I wanted to, before, before I hand the mic back over, I, I want to just read a section from, uh, from page 18 that I thought was really relevant to everybody listening today. It basically says, I'm alarmed at how many creators gloss over creating. They fritter away their time on Twitter and Facebook, not killing time, but believing they are building up followers to be the recipients of their unremarkable work. They have meticulously crafted brands and impeccably crafted through media training. They uh, are personas crafted through media training. They spend money, money on courses and rebooks on marketing to develop sales strategies for products they haven't even made yet. And all of this churn may feel productive, but to what end? To make something that will eventually disappear with the wind. And I, I just thought that encapsulates the, the world of social media today uh, sure. that we're living through perfectly. So what are your thoughts on that? I think at the end of the day, the best marketing decision you can make is to make something that actually fulfills a real and compelling need for people and continues to do so over time, right? So uh, I, I hear from lots of people, they're like, you know, what's the best thing I can do to sell more copies of my book? And then I dig into the book and it, it doesn't work, right? Like it, it doesn't actually need to exist. It doesn't do anything for anyone. Or, or rather, it tries to do so many things for so many people that in effect, it is not for anyone. And so what I found as a marketer is that my biggest successes were inevitably really, really great products. And so as I, as I've as I look at clients, I find myself wanting to go back in time. How can I get involved earlier? How can we, how can we tweak and improve this product so the marketing comes much easier? And so when you think about something like your book, the reason it's selling is not just because it's really good and people are recommending it, but also because clearly it addresses some fundamental need that has existed across these 11 years, right? So if you'd written a, a book in 2007 about how to, you know, put your brand on Facebook, that might have sold really well in 2007 and 2008, but by 2009, 2010, and then obviously by 2017 and 2018, everyone's figured this out. So that need isn't there as much. So if you look at the themes of my books, for instance, I wrote a book about how to overcome obstacles. Well, people are always going to run into obstacles and not know what to do about it. I wrote a book about uh, the perils of ego. Well, look, ego is a problem that goes back to as long as human beings have existed. And so uh, by rooting what you're doing in these sort of timeless themes, you have the potential not only for that word of mouth, but for there also to continue to be an audience. Like I, I joke, like one of the best books to have ever written would have been like what to expect when you're expecting, because every day a certain number of people find out that they're pregnant and they really just have no idea what to do. And so when you can when you can find or, or build products around perennial needs, it's much more likely that they're going to continue to be perennially successful, much more so than, say, writing a really great sales letter or building up another 2000 followers on Twitter or Facebook. Right. So I think, you know, step number one here is producing a piece of work from a subject matter approach that will be relevant for decades, right? Yes. And one of the traps that we have to deal with, you know, here in kind of the entrepreneurial education space is 
the fact that a lot of times the most valuable content that we can produce is out of date within a year. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, for example, our my, my list building course, which is, you know, we've sold a ton of millions of dollars worth of that course over the last two years. It's about every 12 to 15 months, I have to re-record the entire thing, which takes like three months worth of work because the interfaces that we're teaching people and the services, they've all changed their look, their feel, and uh, and user interface, and it's no longer rel- relevant anymore, and we have to go fix that, right? Sure. And so I want people to start thinking about the content that they want to put their time into producing in a, in a much more strategic way, which is exactly what your book is about. Because if you're going to put in a year's worth of work developing a product or service, it's a hell of a lot more beneficial if that product or service is still going to be relevant 10 years from now, right? Than having to go back and reinvent the wheel every 18 months. Well, well, think about your list building course. Although you might be updating the content specifically, what has remained true is the importance of building a list, right? And so... So there's this great line from Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, where he's saying sort of focus on the things that don't change. And so on the one hand, Amazon is a very tech-focused, future-driven, innovation-obsessed uh, company. You know, Amazon Web Services, Alexa, they're always experimenting with new stuff. Yet fundamentally, the, the philosophy of Amazon is that people like things cheap, they like good customer service, and they want whatever they want right now. And so I think with your list building course, of course, you know, you're going to want to update things here and there. You're going to want to add, uh, you're going to want to add, you're going to want to continue to improve it over time, right? It's not just replacing stuff, but hey, I learned this thing and I want to make sure that my potential customers gain from it. But fundamentally, the reason you're even able to do that is because you nailed an actual need that people have, right? Like if your course was, you know, how to survive the Y2K crisis uh, in the year, uh, you know, 1999, well, then the Y2K crisis turns out not to be anything. And then all that that entire business is rendered irrelevant right now. You know, it was interesting to me as I was writing Perennial Seller, I was talking about Snapchat at one point. And from when I started to when I got to the end of the book, Snapchat changed from Snapchat to Snap and Instagram came along and basically stole all the users from Snapchat and basically rendered the whole thing irrelevant uh, entirely. And so you want to, as you're creating things, whether it's video or it's music or it's a course or it's a business, if, if your goal is to create something that lasts, you have to make sure that the ingredients that are making up the thing are also in a position to last and endure. You know, that's that's absolutely spot on. And another quality that you talk about in the book that I, I recognized as well over the last couple of years is that all of the really successful perennial sellers out there, a couple of examples would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Why by Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of other books out there, 48 Laws of Power, which is one you reference quite often, is that they all challenge the status quo in some way. They all, sure. they all challenge the common, commonly held wisdom, and they're quite controversial. And mine was uh, no exception to that rule either. So I think that that's a really important ingredient here that people need to think about, which is what is my book going to challenge that's that's commonly perceived and is it going to be controversial? And the answers that you're looking for there are, um, yes, the, you know, it needs to do both of those. 
Right. You, first off, you have to distinguish yourself from everyone else. So if your thing is very unremarkable and uninteresting and undifferentiated from everyone else, it's unlikely that the longer you stick around, the 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 less that's going to be the case. Uh, there's a line from Rick Rubin where he says, you know, the best art divides the audience. So when he was working with with the band Slayer on their album Rain and Blood, which is considered one of the sort of most epic heavy metal albums of all time, you know, one path would have been for them to make themselves more mainstream, right? Let's soften our sound. Let's, you know, let's, let's shorten our songs. Let's make them a little less, you know, violent and crazy, whatever it would be. But actually, Rick Rubin, who's one of, the, I think, the, the greatest record producers of all time, said the opposite. He said, no, you should double down on what your fans like, on what's sort of true and authentic and real about you. And that's what they did. It's, one, it's considered to be one of the heaviest albums of, of all time in a, in a genre with, that's already called heavy metal. And what that produced was a, a classic, a cult classic. So the album has sold millions of copies. It didn't sell you know, millions of copies to Michael Jackson fans. Uh, at that time, but it did, it did really nail what the core audience wanted. And so I think one of the things you want to ask yourself as a creator is not, is, is, is not only who am I for, who am I making this for, but also who don't I care about? And so if your work doesn't care about a certain audience, you need to, you need to be okay upsetting them or even lean into it. I I'll, I see this with my own works. Sometimes I'll, I'll read an Amazon review or I'll, I'll read a you know a reporter writing critically about one of my books, and it will be funny. They'll they'll say something like you know Ryan didn't do X, and I'll be like yeah I was trying not to do X. Uh, I, I you are not my audience. So the fact that you don't like it is actually confirmation to me that I did the right thing. And so. What this does then is it gives you a kind of freedom to take risks and to sort of double down on your strengths. And, and, and this is very different than I think what most people try to do, again, which is sort of be for everyone and then wonder why they're not really resonating with anyone. You know, that's something that really hits home with me over the last, let's say, one to two years with the brand of Self-Made Man, right? There's uh, there's an enti sure. entire half of society that hears that phrase, you know, even the former president would, you know, thinks it's yeah. like, that's bullshit. There's no such thing as a self-made man, right? Mm -hmm. So instantly from day one, I've kind of had this, this company brand that is lightning in a bottle and, and very uh, controversial. And there's a side of me that's really struggled with that over the last year because it's not necessarily what I'm looking for. I want this to appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah, but at the same at the same time, it's a blessing in disguise because you need that polarization to build a real fan base, to build a community, and to build a following. And it's as you mentioned earlier, you're not going to be able to please everybody, so don't try. And just you know, it finally dawned on me. I just have to let the brand be what it is and completely embrace that, and then go to level ten with it. I think I think that's right. It, look, you're not. It's impossible to take a stand to stand for something and not piss somebody off, right? And you got to be okay with that. You don't want to piss everyone off because then you don't have any customers and you don't want to needlessly p piss off people who could potentially be fans or customers or supporters of yours. But 
you cannot please everyone all of the time. And uh, it's very unlikely, in my opinion, and in my experience, you know, working with people who sold millions and millions of books and, and artists who sold millions and millions of albums, it's very unlikely that you will make something that, is, that endures and has meaning and significance without taking a, a true stand of some kind, artistically, politically, culturally, as far as your business is concerned, you cannot succeed without making a statement of some kind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agreed. So obviously, this is your goal, right? To create perennial bestsellers as a full-time author. This mm -hmm. is your career. This is your legacy. This is the way you make your impact. And just from a business standpoint, it's what is the most effective and makes the most sense, you know, after sure. a two or three decade long career. Once you've really identified the right angle for your product and what you're going to create, what's the next step after that that you need to think about? Well, ta tactically, just put it, putting in the work to actually make that thing, right? Lots of people have grand visions for what they're going to create, and then they don't sort of roll up their sleeves, put their ass in the chair and, and make that thing. And, and I, I, I always caution uh, creators that it's going to be harder than they think. George Lucas r literally ripped out his own hair during the making of, of Star Wars, like literally had a problem, ripped out most of his own hair as he struggled to will this thing in to existence. Uh, the writer George Orwell would say that writing a book is like a bout with a long illness. You have to be, he said, you have to be almost driven by a demon or you can't make it. And so it's really, really hard. And so you have to be willing to put in the work. And, and one of the reasons I talk about this so much is that if you're, if you're just looking to make a few dollars or you just want to make money quickly, there are way better things to do than write books or try to make a movie or to get a company off the ground, right? Like go invest in cryptocurrencies if all you're doing is trying to make money right now, right? Or go work on Wall Street or get a high paying job at Google. All these things, all those things are hard too, but they are much easier than creating a masterpiece of some kind, like a truly innovative. Elon Musk said that starting a company is like chewing glass. And this is a guy who's done it many times, right? So he, he, clearly he's driven by something to do that. So you, ha you have to actually put in the work and you have to ask yourself a lot of tough questions about what you're willing to sacrifice, why you're doing this, who you're doing it for, and all of that. And then, yeah, we can talk about this, but there, there is a point, of course, where once the thing exists, you then have to go out into the world and sell it. I'm, I'm, I, I would never say that the world is a meritocracy. And if you just make something great, that's all there is to it. You will automatically be successful. That, that is just not the case either. Before we dive into, you know, the marketing side of things, I want to give people some perspective on, on the work, you know, the, the yeah. work that it takes. What does it look like for you when you're writing a book? How much are you working per day? Does it take you six months, a year? But give us kind of a realistic set of expectations. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you, even in the course of my own career, I started a blog in 2005, and my first book came out in the summer of 2012. So I put in a lot of work to even be in a position to have my first book idea to then go and write that book. So you, you don't become a stand-up comedian 
by going up once at an open mic night. There, there, there is years of that process of developing the mastery and skill to be to being able to do it. This sort of, you could call it the prehistory of one's career. But when you sit down and, and work on a book, the process can be uh, it could be a year, it could be ten years. It, it sort of depends on the project, but it is very much uh, a process of waking up every day, sitting down and making almost no visible progress. That that's 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 the part I try to get people to understand going in. Like the the same is true for starting a company, same is true for 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 building anything. It's that the progress is never going to be m- measured in days. It's almost certainly going to be measured in months or years or even decades. Uh, and so so it's like I could have a great day of writing tomorrow. I could wake up at seven, which is around when I normally do. You know, I sit down, I start writing around eight. Maybe I'm, I'm calling it a day on the actual writing at, at noon or so. Uh, and so I could have an amazing day uh, of writing. And then when I look at how much I actually produced and how much of that appears in the final product, it's going to be less than 1%, right? Uh, probably less than half of a, of a percent of the finished product could be produced that way. So you have to cultivate this kind of inner strength and ability to delay gratification because it's a process where you throw everything you have at it and you don't make any progress. It's, it's like if, if, you, if your goal was to get a six-pack and you thought that going to the gym tomorrow would make you visibly closer to having that six-pack, you're never going to make it to where you want to get because it's, it's not something that uh, magically appears. It's something that slowly, indiscernibly begins to be built inside you. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's it just has to be a daily discipline. <laughs> I can yeah. I can definitely relate to what you were saying because whenever I've been, uh, you know, putting a project together that requires me to do a lot of writing, I've literally had days, m- at least a dozen or so, where I've sat at my computer for a full eight hours from morning until dinner time and written half a page. Right. And this was not from a lack of trying. This is with my head down on my desk, like eyes closed, just trying to freaking think and formulate how I want to communicate something the right way. And I got half a page done. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, so I have a little diary that I keep. It's one line a day. And you just write one line and, and, and there's five slots. So you write, you can see where you were the previous year, the year before that, the year before that. And so it's funny, I was writing today's entry, actually. Today is uh, February, what, the 8th? Uh, no, it's this, yeah. So uh, I was writing yesterday's entry, what happened yesterday. And, and my next book, uh, which isn't out yet, uh, on February 7th, 2017, I started the actual writing. So there have been months and months of research and interviews and all, all the all the other stuff that went into it. But I, you know, I, I sat down and wrote the first sentence on February 7th, 2017. And then yesterday, February 7th, I finished the last word of the audiobook. So in that process, it was exactly 365 days from start to finish of the starting the writing to essentially the completion of the project. And, and that was so long ago that I don't, like I, I didn't remember that until I, you know, opened the entry. 
And that's because every day I was just chipping away, getting a little bit closer to that finish line. It didn't feel like it. And I didn't start to have a sense of the end of the tunnel until way, way, way down the line. And, and so you've got to, again, you've got to have this sort of inner strength and, and a deep love of what you're doing that allows you to do what you were talking about, which is sit and work on something for eight hours and make a few lines of progress and go, okay, well, I'm going to come back tomorrow and do it all over again. You have to be crazy enough to, to do that. You know, if you want to write a, a work that stands the test of time, success is in the details in an excruciating way. It's going back and rewriting a single sentence three, four, five different times and paying attention to that level of detail over and over and over again throughout the entire project that allows it to finally, you know, reach uh, the form, fit and finish that you're looking for and that makes it stand out from everything else. So, yeah, absolutely agreed there. Yeah, it's, it's unlikely you're going to stand the test of time if you don't put the time in. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So what's really interesting these days is specifically younger entrepreneurs, because I, I just, you know, I'm 40, I feel like a grandfather in this world now. So <laughs> they're just taught to essentially document their day, you know, film everything on Instagram, and everything, for the most part, is now disappearing 24 hours you know, from sure. now, which is... Interesting because I think it creates an even bigger opportunity for you to create something that is designed to stand the test of time and not disappear 24 hours from now. So I actually think that that's a big advantage for folks who are willing to, to go down this path. Now, what I want to talk about is capturing the value that your work creates, assuming sure. it does become a perennial seller over that period of time because it's a shame if you create something awesome and you don't think about how to capture that value uh, and essentially turn it into a foundation for your next level, right, in your career. And uh, I think that that's something Robert Kiyosaki's been able to do very well. I think that's something Tony Robbins has done well. Uh, I think that's something, obviously, you talk about it in the book, you're constantly thinking about. So could we talk about that for a little bit? In, in a way, we've already talked about it in the sense that you brought up the, the idea of building a list. Uh, w one of the stories I talk about in the book is is a, a wonderful author who I've worked with who is one of my favorite writers in the whole world. And he, he, he wrote a book in the early 2000s that sold over a million copies. And so in, in selling a million copies of a book in publishing is, is probably the equivalent of selling, I don't know, 10 million copies of an, of an album. It's, it's sort of going diamond. Very few projects ever get to that seven seven-figure sales number. And so he got in there, but he got there in an earlier version, in an earlier state of the publishing industry. Back when publishers had a lot of, there were multiple retailers, when publishers had a huge uh, ability to influence readers, they could, they could make a book a success. And so he'd sold one million copies. And, and so therefore he had millions of fans, right? But he had an email list of like 100 people. And so when he, it came time for him to put out his second book, or, or it wasn't really a second book, but the next book, and it was actually the sequel to this one, he was in the unique position of essentially starting from scratch. Uh, Noah Kagan calls it sort of amnesia marketing. It's like this guy had done the impossible, sold a million copies, and yet 
he had to now go reach one million new people because he didn't have any way of reaching those people. So I think the number one thing if you're building a if you if you're building a perennial work of some kind is that you also have to be building a tribe of those people. You have to be capturing the information. I brought up what to expect when you're expecting. I don't even know the name of the author of what to expect when you're expecting. I don't know if they wrote any other books. I don't know if they wrote about, you know, how to raise a toddler or how to send your kid to college because the, the although they nailed it with the book, they didn't build any sort of universe or brand around that very meaningful interaction that they that they've had now with millions and millions of people. Meanwhile, you know, people who who buy a Tesla are sucked into this sort of Elon Musk Tesla universe and their customers for life, particularly because one of the early decisions that Elon Musk made with Tesla is that he was going to sell the cars direct. So again, you could be a huge fan of GMC trucks, but GMC doesn't actually have a relationship with you because you could have bought from seven different dealers over the last 20 years. Right. You know, that was uh, really the decision that, that kickstarted our career as well, or my career with Magnetic Sponsoring, is it took this little book, and that book alone was worth $25 million to me over the following three to four years, because it captured everybody's email address, right? Brought them into right. our ecosystem, and we sold them additional products. And I would have to say there's still 10,000 people who are on my email list that I hear from who have been on that list and reading, you know, my publications yeah. since that book launched. Sure. You know, so absolutely agreed. Yeah. Well, Kevin, Kevin Kelly calls that the thousand true fans. And ideally, you want to have more than 1,000. Every one you have is, is, you know, more money in your pocket and, and not in an exploitative way. But it's like if someone loves what you do, you want to make sure you lock them into a relationship so you can continue to cultivate that connection as you grow and make new things because they're very interested in in hearing about them. Are you familiar with any of Eben Pagan's educational materials over the years? I am, yes. So Eben's uh, a good friend of mine. He's been been a mentor and I've bought all of his info products over the last decade. Like I started with his, his dating relationship stuff and then I moved into his business stuff. And one of the, one of the things Eben has done that I've really appreciated in his work is that every single product he's created is timeless. Sure. He's never created a Facebook advertising course or a Twitter course or Instagram or anything like that. Every single thing that he put out will be relevant 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, for that reason. And I'm just like, ah, that was really freaking smart. <laughs> and, um, right. You know, but that's, uh, but that's a challenging thing to do as well. Of course. Now, what would you say are the biggest landmines that individuals can step on once they've headed down this path that could destroy what they've created, Right. I'm trying to think of an example maybe that's a public figure that, that we would know of or think of who's written a seminal piece of work and then they do something maybe with their next project that just totally sure. tanks what they've done. Is there anything uh, that stands out? Yeah, I, I can think of a couple of things. So, so I think the biggest one is neglect, right? People look at someone like Harper Lee who writes To Kill a Mockingbird and then basically never publishes another thing, although she published this, you know, this, this, this book at the end of her life but it wasn't very good. But 
But I think the biggest thing that people do is they don't turn around and start the next thing, right? So uh, I, as I've found in, in books, I think it's true in, in most in most industries, sometimes the best marketing you can do for a product is to go make the next product, right? Would Star Wars be as popular if there was only one movie? Would we read the Iliad if he if he hadn't pub- if Homer hadn't written the Odyssey or created the Odyssey? You know, would we read Shakespeare's sonnets if he hadn't written his plays? Creating a body of work and a, a, a sort of a, an ongoing relationship with your fans is really, really important. If you sort of stop, you're kind of frozen in time and then you're, the rot is setting in. Whereas if you're making new stuff and evolving, the the work that you've already made is is in a way evolving with you. So I see a lot of people, they sort of get complacent. Right. They hit a home run. And then instead of, you know, preparing for the next at bat, they're just sort of, I don't know, resting on their laurels. They're just soaking it in. And and you never know. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. And so I urge people to sort of get back out there and make the next thing. I think that's an important part. I think Seth Godin might be a perfect example of that. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> He's got 12 books, right? It, and it's just one after the other. And, and I'd say probably two of them are probably in the perennial seller category. Purple Cow is one of them. You know, maybe Tribes is the other. But anyway. I would say that I think that the dip is perennial. I, I think he's made many books that are going to stand the test of time. But I, but it's like every time he does a new book, from a marketing perspective, it's getting his his name and his his fans activated again, and it's bringing in new people, right? Like I talk in in the book, I I, I talk about the band Iron Maiden, uh, who I'm a huge fan of. I think is is one of the sort of unsung heroes of the music industry. They sold a hundred million albums, basically never been played on the radio. But I discovered Iron Maiden in 2000 when they put out a, an album called Brave New World. And it's, 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 it's one of my favorite albums, but it was by nature of putting out a new album and doing interviews and it, you know, going to the top of the charts and being sort of passed around by nature of doing it, they acquired, like, I wasn't even born when Iron Maiden started as a band. But I discovered them in 2000 when they put out this new album, and that gave me an entry point into their back catalog. And so there are people, in your case, that are discovering magnetic sponsor uh, sh- magnetic sponsorships through the Self Made Man podcast, right? And so, in a way, sure, if you'd been hitting the magnetic sponsorships. Uh, note over and over again, it would ring stale and people wouldn't like it. But the fact that you've gone on and done something unrelated that's also successful is bringing new people into the universe. So I think that's a big part of it. But I would say also, though, oftentimes people will make something that's not consistent with their values or with with the relationship they have with the fans, and they can they can lose fans as well. So you want to be careful. You you want to make sure you're not being caught up in the fad of the moment. So it's like uh, we I mentioned cryptocurrencies earlier. It, okay, you've built a big brand. You've got a lot of trust. Uh, are you going to blow that trust? You know, promoting an ICO scam or so, or something like that. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, it's making sure that you respect your audience and you're treating them with, with a sort of responsibility and an obligation to do the right thing. You know, I've wrestled with a big challenge here a few months ago when it came to, when it came to the book, because, you know, I wrote that 11 years ago now, that was when I was in the network marketing industry. I left that world 
in 2010. So I left that industry like goodbye forever eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been trying to divest my personal brand and name from that world so that I can kind of move on. Sure. And I've noticed that as the book continues to sell, I keep getting pegged in that <laughs> in that place. And that just bugs me, right? I'm just like, I'm really glad that book helped you change your life and it made a positive impact on you. And, you know, that's the benefit of it. And on the flip side, I'm like, I'm really trying to move on here. What do I do? And right. So, I guess three or four months ago, I made the decision that I was like, I am just going to pull it. I'm going to pull it off the market. I'm going to stop selling it. And I just want to move on with my life and my brand essentially at that point. And Mm -hmm. I figure that's the only way I can do it. So, I found out something really, really interesting that I didn't know beforehand, which is once you publish a book on Amazon, it is there forever. You can't take it off. Sure. Sure, you can take it out of print, you can stop selling the Kindle version. But that page, if someone ever searches your name, is there. And, uh, you know, the book reviews and and the history and the comments and everything else will be there. You cannot remove that page. Right. And so that's something I think that people need to be aware of is to think about, you know, how you want your life to evolve, your personal brand to evolve. And if you want to be associated with the work you put out, because once again, it's out there, it's out there forever. And I'm very fortunate in the fact that that being the case, the book that I wrote is phenomenal, right? Like the the feedback on it's been fantastic as opposed to being the other way around. Sure. So have you, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm debating on, okay, great, it's going to be there forever. Should I just put it back up for sale and let it be? Should I keep it offline? What do I do in that scenario? Because it doesn't fit who I'm trying to become moving forward, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think as long as you, as, as long as the content is good, and, and I, I have a similar experience with my first book, which is about media manipulation. It was a sort of, you know, ripping back of the curtain of, of, of how, how the system works. But, but it, its title is Trust Me, I'm Lying. And so, you know, that's something as, I, as I've written these books about ancient philosophy that have done well in sports, as, I, as, as my books have, have sort of had this resonance, you know, that's like a, it's something I don't like talking about as much. But I, I don't think you necessarily gain anything by pretending it doesn't exist. You just got to find an, a way to integrate that into your story, into the narrative of where you're going, and, and then not, not be upset that some people are starting at the beginning of the story where some, whereas some people are opening it to the chapter that you're currently you're currently writing. You know that that's kind of how I was thinking about it as well. Because again, as you mentioned, it's bringing in 300 new potential fans into my ecosystem every month, right? Right. And so I was like, well, what I can do is I can go back and I can just edit, you know, the intro, and I can set some context. Hey, this is where I started, etc. I'm not in this world anymore, but you know what's taught in here still stands true today. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, go find me at selfmademan.com, right? And then turn right. it into a marketing channel for that. So I think, yeah, that, I th- I think that I think might the be the same solution. Way. Yeah. Very cool. So we've got a couple of minutes left here. Ryan, what do you think is important to cover that we haven't yet? Well, I think that the marketing side of things, you know, the, the subtitle is The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. Again, I, I don't want what if some people don't spend enough time 
making a great thing because they're good at marketing. We often see the other side of things uh, as well, where people are really good at making things, but they don't understand that that marketing and sales is a fundamental part of the equation as well. And so like what, what I say is that sort of making something is this marathon and you get to the end of the marathon and you're exhausted and you think they're going to put a medal around your neck. And instead they grab you and guide you to the starting line of a second marathon. So you're really, you're, you're really running two. And the second marathon is just as important and just as challenging and just as rewarding as the first one if you do it right. And so I want them to think of marketing as another chance to be creative and to make something that's worthwhile. Like, like uh, you know, for each one of my books, I write articles that are going to promote the books. I don't see that as an obligation. I go, okay, now I have an opportunity to write some really great things that I'm that I'm excited about that are going to help people that are going to that are going to land and and have impact. And so. I want every creator to understand that marketing is your philo- is your responsibility too. It's not this thing that you just pay someone a bunch of money for and then it they magically do it for you and then you're going to have a success. It's just just not how it happens. Yeah, it's you can't leave it up to luck, right? Yes. Can't leave it up to luck. Absolutely agreed. Well, brother, this has been awesome. I always have enjoyed our, our conversations, and uh, the book's fantastic. I've I've had it with my highlighter here uh, in front of me, going through it again uh, for the second time, uh, because this is it again. I want people to understand: if you're going to put in time to create something, and make sure you're creating something that will stand the test of time, right? It's going to take roughly the same amount of effort one way or another. And uh, if you're strategic about it, if you're thoughtful about it, if you plan from the very beginning in an intelligent way that will allow you to create a timeless piece of work rather than something that's a flash in the pan, you know, thing that's irrelevant next year, it could alter your life, you know, it could change the course of your life. So, Mr. Holiday, where can people go to connect with you? Obviously, they can go to Amazon and pick up a copy of the book, Perennial Seller. Uh, but where can they go connect with you otherwise? Yeah, th- and and thank you very much. That's that's really kind. I think not only can it change, you know, your life, but it can change the life of the the people that whatever you're making uh, is for as well. So so people can check me out at ryanholiday.net. You can see all all my books there. And then I'm at Ryan Holiday on on pretty much every social platform. And you know, there's a. Uh, I, I do a, you know, I follow my own advice in terms of a list. I, I, I have a list where I recommend books every month and, and people can check that out on my website too. Awesome. 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 I'm making sure I have you on uh, on Instagram because I don't think I do. There you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Very I'm, fun. I'm, I'm following you. Yeah. Not too shabby, my friend. 230,000. <laughs> yeah. That is a, that's a hell of a list right there. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time. I, I appreciate it immensely and, uh, and for the support. And I can't wait to see what you're coming out with next. Awesome. Much appreciated. All right. Thank you, guys. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.